0: And welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today's show, we are continuing in a series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 48 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Good morning, Peter, and welcome back.
1: Good morning. It's good to be back after Christmas. It's calmer in here in the studio than it's been on the streets for days. I like it. And I want to wish everybody a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Hanukkah, and uh, I hope you have a good New Year, a healthy Happy New Year. And I hope that what we have to offer will be something that you can apply in your real lives. And uh, I listened to last week's episode. It was filled with a lot of good information, but I felt that we need to, do, to uh, kind of break it down a little bit today and use more specifics that you could relate to. And uh, I felt it was great information, but I was even overwhelmed by the amount of it. So we're going to try to break this down a little bit, make it more applicable and, uh, and uh, real to you. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to do that. And hopefully if we don't, that you'll be able to get in touch with us and let us know what you're looking for. But in the meantime, let's get started. Um, This is a good topic today.
0: I do want to add that we did have some people get in touch with us about our last episode, and Mm -hmm. they said kind of similar things to what you said, that there was so much information that they felt uh, that they needed to take notes to really get the most out of it. And Mm -hmm. I think they were maybe, I don't know if they were listening in their car or wherever they were, that they weren't really able to take notes. Mm. So I think, uh, what you're saying uh, kind of meshes in with that. And what we'd like to do today is maybe highlight some of the key points that we're making as we make them so that people can take them in uh, in, a, in a practical, helpful way. And the other feedback that we got uh, also was to use a few more examples. Yeah, and think. we have tried that in the past, but I think our last podcast, we just kind of didn't do that as much as we needed to so today we're gonna be sure to include some examples
1: yeah definitely and the other part is if I'm talking too much stop me and uh, I'll pay attention to you. you have a lot to say yourself and I'm interested always interested in what you have to say so to be a little bit more entertaining <laughs> um, if you hear something that you know you want you have something to say say it and I'll stop I'll listen to you I respect what you have to say you have a lot of experience and sensitivity and intelligence, and I want to respect that. So, just Thank give you. me the signal, whatever Thank you. that may I w- be.
0: I will do better at that. I yeah, will. You'll do fine. All yeah, right. you'll fine. All right. Let me just before I before I know you have something you want to open with, but before we do, let me just give our title for today, yeah. which is having hope when we face overwhelming challenges in life.
1: Yeah, yeah it's a it's a good title. Um, And I want to start these broadcasts with something that really kind of says it all uh, in a very short, succinct way. I actually got it off of one of my sites, one of my site and Facebook. Your Facebook. Yeah, but I like it.
0: One of your wisdom sites.
1: Yeah, one of my wisdom sites. This was somebody else's wisdom that I really liked. and It says, what's broken can be mended, what hurts can be healed, and no matter how dark it gets, the sun's going to rise again. And that would be the core theme to everything that we do. So there is no failure. There is no hopelessness and despair. There's always something to hope for. And uh, I know we talked about that last time, and I wanted to have a little continuity from last time because we had some good subjects.
0: We We did, and we made some really excellent points that I don't want to get lost. If I could, let me jump in. I'm just going to start with briefly uh, mentioning some of the key points we made last time and that we want to return to today. And these are all uh, practical uh, approaches, ideas uh, to handling stress, challenges, adversity, uh, so that we can do, just as the title uh, says, have hope when we face overwhelming challenges. The first thing uh, that we want to return to from last time is the, uh, uh, the idea of examining our attitudes. What in our attitude is emerging as we are facing adversity? Uh, the second point is to understand our emotional reactions. Uh, how are we going to respond in terms of our emotions to what's happening in the present? The third uh, idea here that we want to convey is the idea of taking responsibility, uh, not blaming ourselves. Uh, this includes that, that uh, idea of inner voices that can really take us over. Uh, and then the fourth point uh, that I want to return to again is uh, looking at our relationship to control. Uh, and how it can affect our ability to function during difficult times.
1: Yeah, those are all really relevant topics. And, uh, you know, as you're talking, before going back to uh, having hope when we face overwhelming uh, challenges in life, um, I was thinking about something that I read in the Bible about Joshua when he took over the, what, the, over a million Jewish people that were wandering in the desert 40 years and Moses had died. And I can't imagine how scared he was and overwhelmed with the responsibility. He was never the leader. And yet, uh, when, I read the, when I read this Bible, and it's the one I read, is very paraphrased. But what I talked to is, and I, I want to read it because I thought it was, it's it God talking to Joshua. And I can imagine why he needed to be talked to. But he's, God says to him, haven't I commanded you strength and courage? Don't be timid. Don't get discouraged. God, your God, is with you every step of the way. And I'm thinking this has been a theme that's been going on for a long time, that uh, when we're overwhelmed with responsibilities and when we're looking at things that seem so hard to grasp, we need some encouragement. And obviously Joshua needed a lot of encouragement. I wouldn't want to be in this position. But he did a good job, and he took the responsibility And he didn't fall back on his fears. And obviously, discouragement and fear was part of where he was, because here's God telling him not to be, and instead to be strong and courageous. Well, I think we've taken that and built on that. I didn't really have that in mind at the time. But it really seems relevant. And I'm thinking this goes back thousands of years, and here we have the same thing going on. We are
0: human and and have been. Joshua was human, mm-hmm. just as we are.
1: Yeah, and we're talking about, you know, the the Bible makes him sound like he's this incredibly powerful leader. I don't believe it. My guess is he was quite human. He always wor- worked under Moses, and uh, he needed a lot of encouragement because I'll bet you his fallback attitude was, This is too much for me to handle. Mm -hmm. My mentor is gone, and now this all falls on me. How the heck am I going to take this on? Well, all these complaining people that have been wandering around the desert for 40 years, and I'm the one that's going to be taking control of this thing. So I'm sure he was pretty frightened and overwhelmed and human. Yes. But... We talk about attitudes here and examining our attitudes. This is a perfect example.
0: This is our first point, is examining your attitude yeah. in the face of adversity and challenge.
1: Yeah. And I, th- I think that's really important. That's an action step. And I really believe that uh, we all need to examine our attitudes. And when we're under a overwhelming situation, a challenging one, traumatic situation, it's so easy and it's human although it's not the best part of humanity, for us to fall back to old reactions and responses that may have worked in the past sometime. But our system, you know, as a, uh, as a clinician for a long time, and I, I really like the idea of being a mentor and a life coach a lot better, but we studied and we, we were experts. We've written a book on trauma. We wrote many papers on it. But one of the things that we see with people is that when they've been through difficulties in their past, there's an imprint on their nervous system, their automatic autonomic reactions, and that, when they're under stress, that is the first place people go to. It's human. It's also a flawed part of our humanity because it takes us out of the present, and it may bring up reactions that don't fit now. They may have worked
0: in the past. That's right. They, they may have been appropriate for the situation that we were in in the past, but they uh, may not no longer fit. They may not be the best response now. And
1: that's the, the part about examining our attitudes that really matters. Uh, We've got to be honest with ourselves and look at ourselves and remember what you just said is true. Uh, in the old context, this worked and it made sense. Then all of a sudden, the same reactions go off in a split second, and they don't fit the present. In fact, they can inflame it and make it worse. So it's for us to re-examine, to know ourselves well, and sometimes to get some support around us. I'll be honest with you, because this isn't always easy. This is imprinted in our nervous system, so it's caused a distortion there. Sometimes we need somebody to remind us about what the present is calling for, and somebody who knows us can say... I've seen you go to this place before. It's not, it doesn't work now. In fact, it's causing more problems.
0: I think this might be a good place for an example, if we could put one in, mm-hmm. of, of something that had worked in the past and no longer is serving. Um, is there... I mean, we could. I don't know if we want to stay with Joshua or whether we want to find
1: another. Good, no, use another one. I wasn't going to go into biblical studies. No, we got enough biblical. Yeah, no, I wasn't doing. That. Okay, that was just something that came. All right, so mind.
0: so uh, we have had many clients over the years, <coughs> who learned how to survive in their childhood, uh, under very difficult circumstances, mm-hmm. and then as adults continue the pattern uh, of how they coped and survived as children when it doesn't fit anymore. Uh, children are under the uh, under the um, domination, that's a bad word, I mean, that's a negative word, but they're under the authority of their parents, and the things that they may have to do to survive, uh, we have had heavy work that we've done through the years, uh, no longer works in the present. Um, I don't know if anything's coming to you right away.
1: Well, a lot is. I mean, it depends on how personal you want to get, but a lot does, because that is a common issue uh, mm. you know when we were therapists we specialized in a certain kind of body work today we've we've evolved it into something that has to do with trauma recovery not psychotherapy anymore and, and dealing with pain and our body work does bring that out and we can diffuse it but one of the things that we've seen over and over again is uh, this thing that uh, Wilhelm Reich a oh, long time ago he was the, the uh, psychoanalyst that was a rogue for Freud and he used to watch body reactions when they were doing this uh, free association psychoanalysis and he'd see all these reactions in the body but nobody at that time would ever address them he's the first person that did and then in the Victorian time that's pretty radical uh, it's pretty radical but he was committed and he was a rogue Uh, but he came up with something he came up with a brilliant approach that's affected Massage, physical therapy, body therapies. He's the granddaddy of them all. Right. It's been refined a lot. We use a lot of different things. We don't do the psychotherapy part anymore. But we find that you got to get in there a little bit because some of these reactions are really rooted. And I'll use myself. I don't mind Uh, because it it was so profound for me. Uh, Growing up in New Jersey... Uh, most of my friends don't remember that I was scared. And uh, I remember it because I lived with a lot of fear. But one of the things in where I lived, it was not f- safe to show fear or vulnerability at that time. It was dangerous. And uh, I can joke about it today and look and, and, and share my experiences of what kind of life I grew up with. Not everybody relates to it, but it's, it was a tough time. And one of the things that I learned to do as a sensitive little kid that was getting bullied and beaten up a lot and realizing how dangerous it was is I had to really arm myself up somehow to protect myself. It didn't erase the fear, but it would cover it up, maybe even scare people away a little bit from bullying me. And I became a a weightlifter at the age of about 13, 13 and a half with a couple of my buddies. Well, the reason was I wanted to get stronger. I wanted to be able to mask my fears and have a different kind of experience in life. Well, one of the things about all of that was that, uh, one of the things about all of that, when I remember back now, is that it it, it did help me. It absolutely did when I was growing up, and it worked pretty darn well in that culture. Later on, though, I became hardened. And very pumped up about myself, and it was meant to not just push people, keep people away, but also to to uh, hide fear that I felt deep inside myself. Well, interestingly, through a body work that I participated in, it was almost one of the first things that came up. And I had this very bulked up bodybuilder chest, and my body was like hard as steel, but underneath was a whole different story. And what was keeping that lodged in that? Type of posturing was old experiences, loaded with fear, loaded with trauma. And unless I could begin to examine that and let it go, I was not going to be able to let go of this armoring, it was actually, which was actually getting in the way of my life today. My sensitivities were muted. Uh, my reactions were based on the armoring rather than the deeper sensitivities. I had to look at myself, and it wasn't easy. Because those old experiences were embedded in me. They had distorted my nervous system. My reactions were always on hyper alert, um, even when I didn't need to be anymore. So it was something that I had to get some help with and adjust and also release some of these old experiences that were affecting my attitude and approach to life, which didn't necessarily fit in the present. In fact, it didn't. That was my responsibility. I had to own it. I had to be courageous enough and desperate enough to go, this doesn't work anymore. It's getting in my way, and I don't like to live this way. So, of course, I had to do a lot of work to diffuse that. But as I did, my structure began to soften too. And even though to this day I'm still a weightlifter and bodybuilder and do a lot of athletic things, it's not based on the same thing as years and years ago. Yeah, um,
0: I hear what you're saying, that, that the you had the opportunity And got the good help that you needed to look at uh, the ways that you survived, had to do as a child, uh, to be able to have a better life as an adult, change your attitude, change your approach, become more mature and real and human and experiencing everything that you wanted to experience.
1: And my life was a lot better now. And your life time. is So is better I'm looking now. at these old reactions and going, where's this stuff coming from? It sure isn't helping my life today. And I have a good life, a lot of love and caring, a success, and these reactions sure don't fit. So it was reevaluating my present situation and being honest with myself. Do I really want to bring that kind of negativity and hostility and anger and defensiveness into the present where it doesn't belong? And the answer is no. But I'll be honest with you. I needed some help. Uh, I wish I... Well, I did have a mentor. And I thank goodness that I did. What's the... She's rattling the paper. I'm supposed to look at something here.
0: <laughs> I need to. Uh, uh, Steve is saying we got to take a break.
1: Steve's our technical person. Yeah, and we better yeah, do it.
0: We better do it, or, or who knows what might go Notice wrong. Notice I'm paying attention, though. Okay. okay. All right. Yeah, so you've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. And before our break, uh, Peter was talking about uh, our first point that we want to make today on on our, our topic, which is how to have hope when we face overwhelming challenges. And the first one is to examine our attitude. And Peter was specifically talking about how our old attitude and approach to challenges can emerge in the present, even if it's not the best approach now. Uh, I know that that's an important point that we wanted to make. And I, I'm thinking, uh, Peter, if it's okay, maybe we move on to the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, but before
1: you do, yes, I do want to say that we're not talking just clinically anymore, because this happens to a lot of people. It happens to everybody. And there are challenges in the present. We're talking about difficult challenges. That's an easy, if people examine what they've been like during difficult challenging mm-hmm. adversity they'll they, they'll begin to see that this isn't this isn't just clinical this is really human and i want to say this sometimes it really does take someone who knows us to shift to help us shift because they know what our old reactions are and let's say they're confronted with something and they they were very frightened people who would go into a petrified frozen state when the in, the present situation calls for action and engagement, well, sometimes when people get into that frozen reaction, which is another hyper alert based on old traumas, they need somebody else to go, "Hey, that's not helping now. You've got to engage with the situation as it presents itself." Now, it is negative. It is challenging. It is could be potentially traumatic. And what you what you're doing now isn't helping anybody. It's not helping you. It's not helping anybody shift into the present and begin to engage with what's in front of you now.
0: You've done that for me so many times. I am one of those people who freezes. Uh you are not. Mm-mm. And um I have benefited so often from you saying, "Jenny, get with it here. You need to take action." And I want to say she's
1: pretty good at taking action too, but well, she has I, her moments.
0: I can still freeze. That's yeah. that's my go-to under very difficult situations. Mm-hmm. So, uh let's let's move on. Uh Understanding that this is something that happens to everyone, this examining your attitude. It's not just clinical. It's for everyone. Uh, The second one, and this is actually kind of related, Mm -hmm. uh, very, very much connected, is to understand our emotional reactions. So attitude and emotional reactions are kind of close. How would you differentiate those? Well,
1: I think they're really close. Um, I want to say this. The more you go through this, and the more you learn from it. And even though you have those go-to automatic fallbacks, that when, when a person's been through enough and they know that about themselves, they can self-correct immediately. They, they almost build a confidence about what they're competent of in the present. And that fallback begins to not have such a grip on them anymore. So the more adversity people go through in life, and we're all going to go through it, um, you learn from it. You develop a sense of competence and confidence that really helps you get the energy and the awareness to shift out of that old reaction when it begins to happen. I know you, you mentioned yourself. I see you do it all the time. You, you shift all the time. Sometimes
0: I can do it for myself, but other times I sure do need someone to kind of go get yeah. pointed out for me.
1: Yeah. And, I mean, everybody's different in that way, and you do, and you have a lot of support around you, but you're very effective, honestly. And that doesn't happen very often, where at one time it was just the prevalent go-to place. It was the way I was. Right. Emotional, emotional reaction is definitely tied in, though, with if we're having an immediate traumatic challenge. Oh, it gets very emotional. When we've had past emotional reactions and trauma, that comes up. Um, one of the things that you've got to know is um, emotion itself is very human it's a part of humanity. People confuse sometimes emotions with the feeling state. They are different. Emotions are usually a component of pain, a component of old experiences or shocking experiences that come up in the present. That doesn't mean they're in an intuitive feeling tuned in place, which we all have a capacity to be. It's a distortion of our feeling state, but we all have them. It's human. But we got to be aware of that too. We talked about uh, examining our attitudes. You got to expand. What goes with that is examining your emotionality, knowing yourself, and how you react to things. That's very important. Um, You also got to know that when emotion comes up really strongly, and it does for it can for anybody, you can't let it take you over. That is really important. When you let the emotion dictate your reactions, you're going to be in trouble in no time. As far as decision-making, choices, oh my gosh, we've seen so many people make bad decisions during highly emotional times. So
0: a couple of the real typical
1: emotions you're talking about here would be
0: either fear or anger.
1: Or grief. Or grief. Yeah. I've seen people who are grieving and mourning. Their emotions are running very high, and all of a sudden, they're going to make big life changes and it's the last that is not the time to make big life changes and yet people want to do it. So the emotions are running the show and it doesn't seem to be modulated with too much of the prefrontal cortex, the thinking abilities. You got to know that about yourself, being as a being a human, you got to know your own particular type. For me, it's anger. It does it's a reaction out of fear, but I don't think fear at the time. I uh, go to an instant aggressiveness. That's not always the best thing to do. So I know that about myself. It's the last thing I go to or want to, but it's there all the time, and I know that about myself. I also know it can inflame and make situations much worse, which I will. I always regret. I apologize, and I make every possible thing I can do to, to diffuse it and uh, take responsibility because I know that's not my best place. Yours, you said, is your is your freeze response. I freeze, it? yeah. yeah. Well, and go, fear
0: is usually what I connect and with. I
1: go the other way. There's other people that uh, run. You, yours is freeze. Mine's aggressive. There's other people that see a scary, and they are nowhere to be found. Yep, they're gone. And they're gone, and yet the immediate situation calls for engagement, attention, um, whatever. You know, if it's for uh, dealing with someone who's very ill, it can be terrifying when you see someone you love who's been strong and capable and been such a strong part of your life, all of a sudden be, you know, incapacitated and weakened. Uh, it is a, it, That in itself is traumatic. But there's people like yourself who engage and become magnificent caregivers. I'm like that. There's other people who should be there. And you look for them, and they're nowhere to be found, and they have a million excuses why they can't be. It's an interesting phenomenon. It's nothing to be—I wouldn't feel proud of it. I'll no. be honest with you, if I, I wouldn't want to live in a person's skin with the regrets they have to have, but they will have. We've had, <clears throat> excuse me, were you going to say something?
0: Go ahead, I'll, I'm holding. Think- I'm holding, I can hold.
1: Okay, good. I was thinking about someone we know, and we've seen this many times, who had a very bad history with their parents. And um, the parents became ill, and uh, they had done damage, they were destructive. But at the end of their lives, they called and apologized. They asked the, their grown child to come and be with them in the late stage of their life just to say goodbye. And peop- these people I'm thinking about were so angry and held such a grudge that they refused. Mm. It is the worst burden to carry. It doesn't go away. It's one of those major bad choices. Instead, And we're not talking, I mean, it would be nice to forgive, too. But it's also really important not to, at those times, to disappear. That's the time where you put your imprinted re- reactions away, like that would be running away, mm-hmm. and put that aside, know that about yourself, and do a correct, a self-correct. And examine and know, hey, this is a time that I've got to put those old emotions aside and do what's right. And they're asking for my forgiveness. They're asking for my presence. And that is something I want to do. Now, people who run away don't do it. They're nowhere to be found.
0: No. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's that's a good ex- example of that. We've gone through fight, flight, and freeze, as the traditional words would be. Mm-hmm. Um, you've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. <laughs> Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. I want to just mention that so far, uh, we're about halfway through our episode today, and we've covered two of the points uh, that we uh, mentioned in the beginning. We had four. Uh, The first two are examining our attitudes Uh, The second is understanding our emotional reactions. Mm -hmm. What I would like to do uh, with the remainder of our our show today is in this third section, uh, look at the next two points that we're going to take. And then I'd like to save the last part of our show for a very special example of what we've been talking about, something that I think will help people really get a sense of what we're talking about. So in this section, let's take a look at uh, first, ex- uh, and I want to make sure we get clear about this because you you have talked uh, in this point about taking responsibility, not blaming ourselves. And yeah, we're, how, I mean, you've also mentioned that we can, can have trouble with what kind of responsibility we take, you know, if we overtake too much responsibility. Yeah. So let's get clear here on what we're talking about.
1: You want that for me? You sound like you're laying out pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> want me to keep going. <laughs> well, you're pretty good, though. I mean, and we're people that if you looked at us, you would say they would take too much responsibility. In other words, we could, and I know you're like this, and so am I. Uh, this also has to do with our next topic, but I won't go into it yet. Okay. And that is when we're in very overwhelming, difficult circumstances, uh, that would put anybody to the test and and put our back would be to the wall about how difficult these challenges are it's very easy for certain people to begin to feel responsible for making everything go all right they have to fix it there are
0: so many people and i will say that sometimes this is something men do they want to fix things
1: oh no that's a male that's right yes yes I, i hope that's not no it is chauvinistic it is but it's true (laughs) Chauvinistic <laughs> or, or not, it's true. And I've seen many women get pissed off about that. They don't like that. And they're right. We're not always meant to fix everything. You're right. That's right. That's uh we gotta change that. <laughs> but um I would think that we're talking about something a little different than that, but that's that's one point. Um I would say it's almost like uh really not seeing the situation as it truly is that there are certain circumstances we are not going to be able to change there are certain circumstances that's so traumatic and disastrous or painful and difficult that are part of life and if you're a caregiver type like you are and i am and many people we know we go in and we do everything and anything we can to help someone when it's real but here's the thing we can't always make it okay we can't always make it right We can't always cure people. Uh, I don't think that happens a lot. Um, So we need to kind of begin to understand ourselves in this way too. Are we really looking at the situation objectively as well and understanding, hey, this is what we're facing. There's certain things you can do something about and there's other things there's nothing you can do.
0: This is where a little bit of a crossover, and I think it's okay to the last point, which is our relationship to control. This is very connected into this.
1: All right, it is. That's true, and I was going to go there, but not yet, because there's something that we talked about earlier, and that is when we look at ourselves, we got to know that we have these internal critical pieces, or my old uh, colleague, may rest in peace Mondo, used to call it, what do you call it? They, the committee. They, our errant committee. Yeah,
0: and I, I shouldn't sound so happy about that. No, they're, no, it's are, not a happy They experience. are not our friend.
1: No, they're always there to tell us what we should do, what we ought to do, what we're not doing right, what we're responsible for, and criticizing us and always making us wrong. Now, of course, that goes way back to how you were raised. If you've had a super-religious background like I did uh, as a Jewish person or as a, a, a super-religious Catholic, you know what this feels like. Because you are loaded with shoulds and what you're supposed to do and what you ought to do. And it's with these rules that are embedded in us. And they begin to come out as critical voices. And I'm not talking about schizophrenia. I'm talking about all of us have these voices, one of one kind or another. And all of a sudden, we can't really determine anymore what we can do something about and accept responsibility for and what we're not. And that's the part we need to let go of. With these voices, you don't let go of anything. They're going to always make you wrong in some way. And it's a burden that all human beings to one degree or another carry. So we got to be aware of it and know what our voices are and what they sound like. For some people, they sound like a critical parent. For other people, they sound like a critical committee. And who knows what? Some of my military friends, it sounds like their they're daddy uh, drill sergeant. But nonetheless, that's not a great voice to listen to. No, yeah. and
0: they're often not based in reality, they're in not. what's really happening right now.
1: In fact, they take you out of the present.
0: It, they have more to do with the past, as we have kind of talked about in some of our other points. Right. They mislead you in terms of what you actually can do now, uh, what you may be able to have some control over or won't have any control over, what is doable, what is right in the present
1: so true and unfortunately when those voices begin to take over and you're in a weakened position vulnerable position it's hard to counter them and that's the time those voices seem to really strike so it's very important to develop our awareness of these things about ourselves and how to counter them when they come up or at least recognize them um there's situations where you may not be able to do anything to change the outcome really Um, And that's hard for any of us, particularly when we care about people. But you may be, without those voices harassing you, you could look at the situation a little bit more objectively and redirect your energies and efforts in a way that you can do something positive, that you can do something that's an asset to the situation, where you can really make something good happen, comforting, caring, loving, loving. Whatever it takes. But the, the key really is you got to look at the situa- situation honestly and go, now what can't I do something about? My, my friend is dying of cancer. They're in the last stages. I'm not going to be able to stop that. But what can I do for them in the present to make them more comfortable, to, get, to let them know I'm right here for them and that, that I love them? What can I do to redirect the energy in a more positive way, even under the most difficult circumstances? That is an incredible gift.
0: We've talked about calling that reframing.
1: Reframing. That's good. I forgot. Yep. Yeah. And it's very important. I, I tell you, it's an ongoing process. It's not a once and for all kind of thing. But every time you do it, you're going to develop a certain sense of objectivity along with your empathy and compassion. And you need both. If you're just gonna go on Share Emotion, you may hear those voices loud and give you a hard time. You may start taking responsibility and blaming yourself and feeling guilty and feeling like you failed some way. Uh, And instead of learning and finding meaning and purpose to all of this, you go to a place of feeling helpless, hopeless, and despairing. And that is not a good place to be. As I read in the Bible, Joshua wasn't allowed to go there, and I'll bet you he had a tendency in wanting to, but he he was reminded not to. And we're our, we can be little Joshua's too, in the sense of we need reminders too, and that is even though you feel the fears, even though you feel scared, there is no room for discouragement, despair, and hopelessness. There is a good purpose. There is something you can do out of all of this. When you go to having no purpose, and that's what then you begin to feel despair, discouraged, negative, cynical. And it's very hard at times to support people that are in that place because they can't hear you. But with all the years of experience, I've had a lot of different creative ways of engaging with them to engage the better part and to diffuse what's holding people in that discouraged, despairing place. I personally don't embrace that place. I just don't doesn't mean that I don't have feelings of fear or I don't get overwhelmed when I see sorrowful, sad things that I care about. Of course I do. I can't afford to get terribly discouraged or despairing or hopeless because it takes me down the wrong track emotionally, attitudinally. It it distorts everything. There is no place for that. But we were talking about um, this did dovetail into control. Yes, no, Our you, relationship exactly between. where you've
0: been. Yeah. And, and I've seen you do this so often with, with people that, who have, uh, through the circumstances in their life, have come to a place of feeling fairly despairing, discouraged, hopeless, just like you said. And you work very hard without letting them feel criticized or judged yeah. to let them know that where they are is not going to serve them it is not going to take them to a better place and it's a
1: hard sell sometimes it is and you know why because that's the way they felt a long time ago that's their go-to place and it's a we call them triggerings and they'll fall back into that and a little i could think of a lady that we really think a lot of and a very competent woman and she's dealing with health issues now she's a little older she's also dealing with the medical system Bureaucracy, Medicare, different things, insurance companies, and she gets discouraged. Goes, discouraged. Very discouraged, and, and we uh,
0: and who wouldn't understand? Exactly, the system is discouraging.
1: It is. It's a very difficult system, and particularly when you're hurting yourself yes. and you need help, and then you have to start dealing with the bureaucracy of the medical system. Yeah, it's a tough one. And she was telling us some things she'd run up against lately. They were difficult. I couldn't I agree too. I couldn't deny that. But it took me to be a coach and mentor to really turn her around and go, That's not the way to handle this and not let them stop you. And she felt stopped, she felt despairing, discouraged, like she was a failure and she was weak and she was worthless. My job was to show her in the present she's not that at all. The system has these innate troubles to it that so many of us go through. And sometimes we need an advocate. Well, you're talking to an advocate. That's me. And I've helped a lot of people deal with the system. Not the technical parts only, but certainly the attitudes of bureaucracy when people are sick and vulnerable.
0: Yes, how to navigate the bureaucracy. How to
1: navigate and sometimes to stand up to it very forcefully and strongly and influentially. I had to do that for her and tell her she had to go back. And what the new avenue was was based on the present And there is no room for discouragement. There is no room for hopelessness. She is a worthwhile human being. And if she's being treated that way, it's not the truth. Um, She She should not participate in that. Absolutely not in any way and stand up strong and be assertive and clear. So it took us a while, I have to say. It was a bit of work, but we've done it with so many people. And we coached her. And then we mentored her. And then we used some of our the body worked for the pain she was in because she is in physical pain too. And we helped her begin to release some of the fearfulness and she began to feel better. And underneath it, she was angry, but she turned it against herself instead of putting it where it really belonged into an assertiveness in dealing with the difficult system. So that's part of coaching and mentoring, bringing people back into the present and helping them to, to achieve what they go after and to recognize these fallbacks that aren't so good, but to bring them out of it and show them something better about themselves and how to be more effective in the present with whatever they have to contend with, no matter how challenging, traumatic, or difficult.
0: Thank you, Peter. And I want to say that uh, when we return, we're going to take a break. When we return, I would like us to take a look at a true American hero Mm -hmm. and how he may have worked through some of these issues in facing an enormous challenge in his life. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after this short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. January 15th, 2019, will mark the 10th anniversary of the day that Captain Chesley Sullenberger landed his U.S. Airways Flight 1549 on the Hudson River. And I'm sorry, I'm getting a little emotional. What he accomplished was phenomenal. And 155 people survived uh, because of him. And uh, we can only speculate, and, and I hope that we do honor to him, uh, by speculating on some of the things that may have gone through his mind, his emotions, the things that he struggled with in those moments in the cockpit when everything uh, depended on his uh, very real and uh, accurate and appropriate response to the the tragic situation that he was in. So, uh, we have our four points and we may not get, you know, we may not be, go through them classically or in order or anything, but, but first, uh, let's talk a little bit about Sully. And, uh, the first point that we had made was, uh, the necessity for examining our attitude and the the old attitudes that wouldn't serve us might actually emerge. Um, I, I imagine him uh sitting there and uh all sorts of emotions and old attitudes challenging him mm-hmm. uh to that would take him away from what needed to happen in the moment
1: right well, it sounds like you're you're on to it, and for you it's a per- you know you're you're touched by it. I saw the movie three times, yeah, so I didn't even know his real name anymore. I just knew it was sully. But the movie depicted a very, very difficult situation at the time, but also afterwards, too. It wasn't that Oh, easy. M- very much he so. He wasn't celebrated a hero so quickly.
0: That wasn't clear immediately, no. No,
1: but, the, you know, the of bureaucracies can really mess things up. But he's, he, anyway, and he was very human. That was the thing that struck me. He was facing things like any other human being with the after effects. And he didn't do anything wrong. He did everything just what needed to be done. He saved 155 lives. He was under a traumatic situation where here's a guy whose his whole life is dedicated to flying people and keeping them safe. And the trauma was he couldn't. They were going to crash. No question about it. They were going down. And he was a technician and a pilot enough to know what he did know and what he was facing had to be re- redirected and clarified and straightened out immediately. So for him... I imagine that, you know, he had to go through an awful, I'm sure he was terrified, but he had to overcome his fear just like Joshua to an overwhelming situation Um, and to find his courage and his strength and clarity and clarify all of that all at once in a very fast very quickly. Very quickly, and he did it. He was a very assertive, aggressive guy.
0: Very experienced,
1: and very experienced, and very, but also very human. Yeah. But what you saw was he overcame an awful lot to get become creative, to become innovative, to start taking his skills that he had to keep planes in the air, and to to uh, pilot people all over the world. He had to prevent them from getting all killed when the plane is actually going down. He couldn't stop it. So he had to clarify, redirect, excuse me, decide what was important, put aside what wasn't, and um, look at the situation clearly in the present. And what was he going to do? His purpose was right in the present. And it was, well, I'm not going to keep him in the air. This plane is going down. I have so many skills. But he wasn't thinking that intellectually, I'm sure. Excuse me for a minute.
0: Yeah well while you're clearing your throat I just one thing that that we've talked about that could be occurring in his mind is
1: why me that i'm sure came through his human and uh here's a impossible situation I'm sorry I got to get some water forgive me you're going to hear the crinkling of my bottle here I'm sure that <clears throat> <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm sure that flashed through his mind. It would to anybody. Why would this be happening to us now? Why now? And I think he was even getting ready for retirement. He was wasn't? very close, I think, yeah. So I, that's human. But the thing is, instead of going down that road, which would have gone to discouragement and hopelessness and helplessness, he turned it around. And instead of going to why me and poor me and poor us, were going to all die, he went into action. How can I save this plane? How can I save us and myself? And what can I do creatively and innovatively to bring this plane to a safe place? You know what I learned later uh, when he was being uh, uh, debriefed after it all happened? He was being criticized because he didn't follow protocol. He didn't follow exact training that the airlines and uh, trainers would have told him to do. And he was just skewered. They just tore him apart, and yet he did everything the present demanded. And no, it wasn't according to protocol, because they would have all died. He became creative, innovative, courageous. He took the he took the the authority and responsibility in all the right ways, and it went against his press training. It went against. Protocol.
0: There, I'm sorry to break in, but there might have been like that committee, that we've talked about. Those inner voices. He had that uh, protocol drilled into him. He knew it backward and Uh forward, and he probably heard that in his head the whole time. And he had to decide if he was going to pay attention
1: to that or not. Well, when he was debriefed, at least I'm going to go by the movie. He knew everything they said. He was a very highly experienced, trained pilot, and they weren't telling him anything. He didn't know, but he was telling them about other circumstances that were going on that they didn't know about, didn't want to admit, and it didn't fit their bureaucratic mindsets. But he knew that he was there. He dealt with the present. He knew everything they knew, and yet he used what he saw in a way that was going to save 155 lives, the plane and himself. And they fought him tooth and nail. And they showed him where he didn't follow protocol, where he broke the rules, where he's, he's liable. And <laughs> it was the kind of thing we've seen too much of. He, he went through a lot as a human being. They, instead of being lauded for his courage and innovative strength and assertiveness, he was really beaten down. I mean, he was. It was, to listen to it was heartbreaking and it was torturing. And this isn't a man that didn't have heart. He felt it, but he stuck to his guns. He knew what he was talking about, and he insisted that they go back and reinvestigate what their conclusions were because he knew they were wrong, and they insisted they were absolutely right. They investigated. They finally did another investigation, a mechanical investigation, and you know what? They discovered that he was exactly right, and he did just the right things, more so, but he had to stand his ground. He had to have a sense of confidence, purpose, and meaning to all of this. And it gave him something deep within himself to go. I, he wasn't self-righteous. He was a human being that had been through a lot, and he knew what he was talking about. No matter what they threw at him, that inner committee and outer committee, yeah, they hurt him, and he was hurt, but he stood his ground and he showed an inner strength. This guy was a real champion. If you look at real champions, those are the guys that are knocked down and just get back up and and do even better. That was Sully. I think this is a wonderful example for any of us to know, yeah, we're going to get beat up. Yes, we're going to face traumatic difficulties in our lives all of us. It's part of life, the uncertainty talking about uncertainty. This was a man who was facing the worst uncertainty for a pilot in a big passenger plane, they were going to crash. I'd say that was an uncertainty. The uncertainty was, was anybody going to live, and were they going to make it? And he faced it down, and he dug deep within himself, and he found a confidence and a capability and innovativeness and a courage that kept him moving forward, and he did a spectacular job. That day, that band was blessed, and so were all the passengers on board and their families. He was, of course, everybody... (laughs) finally realized it he was lauded as an incredible hero jenny's touched by what he did um movies were made about it he's a fine man a real human being who had a heart and cared and yes he did feel the attacks and the hurts but he also felt a deeper sense of confidence competence and meaningfulness to all that would happen so anyway i think it's a great example and uh I think Jenny really picked a good one today, because there's so many different parts of what we're talking about that come into play. With I, what he, I went
0: through. Uh, he came to mind, and I also thought that that many people listening would, as I said, would would know this story, and it would help them to understand what we've been talking about a little bit better. I hope so. Um, uh, to me, he he the way he was able to let go of everything that would not help him in the moment. Uh, a, a clear understanding of what he could control and what he couldn't, mm-hmm. um, uh, a focus on what mattered most, uh, and that, like, as you said, that he found purpose in what he was doing. And it. I believe that purpose of saving the people that he saved carried him through every step of the real ordeal he went through afterward, is that he had never questioned the purpose that he had in what he was doing, which was the safety of his uh, passengers and crew.
1: I think so. He's also a very talented pilot. And
0: that he was, and, and the why me could have been answered why, why Sully because he m- may have been the only person who really could have done what he did.
1: I guess. I'm not a pilot, but he was, did an amazing job that day. Yeah, And it's been celebrated ever since. And it should because it's a wonderful example for all of us to hold up as here was an extraordinary, overwhelming trauma that was coming in at him so quickly. And his responses, he overcame his reactions that yeah. were based on the past. yeah, And he became responsive to the immediate situation. He had to let go of the old control. Mm-hmm. And he had to do something different and new. And he did it. He also took responsibility. In, in the all positive, the right ways. In all the right ways. So instead of later on, the external committee was going on him, and they were making him feel like, trying to make him feel like he was wrong. He never doubted himself, and he didn't. And he stood up to him. And it's the same thing you need to do with the inner committee. It's a choice you make. And when those voices come, whether it's external, internal, you've got to know you've got to be able to stand up for them, to them. And the more you do it, the more confidence you gain in yourself and a sense of competence. It's almost like I've been through hard times before. I can make it through. And every time I have, something new and better has come through, and I've learned a lot. I've grown a lot. Each one of these negative experiences has turned into being an incredible teacher. As we say, there are no mistakes. There are no real failures, because in the end, you learn from every one of them to do things better the next time. That's what we're really emphasizing today. Don't look at mistakes and failure as the end. Look at it as a great teacher. Anyway, we're coming to an end, and I want to make sure. uh,
0: I know you have something you want to share in our closing here. Yeah, I want to find it. With all of our listeners. It's
1: one of those Facebook things. Another Facebook wisdom bite. Yes. Yes. Yeah, That's exactly right. Anyway, they're inspiring. inspire me. And uh, I wish I could hang on to them all the time, but that wouldn't be the truth. I would love to, though. But this is a closer, and it's, uh, for every loss, there's a victory. For every sadness, there is joy. And when you think you've lost everything, there is hope. Where there is hope, miracles do happen. And that's what we're talking about today, a real miracle. And the example is miraculous, wonderful, and very, ooh, excuse me. And very real. So uh, I hope this has helped people today. Jenny has been very on target. Uh, Listen to her more. She's got a lot to say herself.
0: Oh, no, no. Okay, thank you. I will try to live up to that. (laughs) Uh, Yes, thank you, Peter. Uh, We've been listening uh, to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson here with uh, Dr. Peter Bernstein. If you'd like to know more about our show or about Peter, please visit our website at the to Life dot com. That's the to Life dot com. And I just want to mention that Steve has been busy. And we now have a Facebook page, we have an Instagram, uh, we are on iTunes and Stitcher. We are reaching out and we want to be found, so we're making it more possible. Thank you for listening. We look forward to having you join us again next time. Take care, and we wish everyone a very happy and successful and uh, fulfilling a new year.